Hey, Irish fans, this is Alex Painter here to remind you that this episode of Onward to Victory is proudly presented by WCScreens.com. If you have needs with screen printing, embroidery, or more, please check out our pals at WCScreens.com. They have nationwide shipping and wholesale pricing. Not only are they big supporters of this podcast, but, like you, they are also diehard fans of the Fighting Irish. WCScreens.com. And on with the show. Irish fans, and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. My name is Alex Painter, and welcome to one of the most anticipated offerings of the entire year. Yes, this is the fifth annual season preview episode. Today, as we are mere weeks, actually less than two weeks, if my math is correct, from the kickoff of the 2023 season, We will be breaking down the roster position group by position group, maybe offering a sleeper or two, giving an outlook on the schedule, and perhaps some more fun and frolic. We shall see, and I said we, very intentionally, because, whoa, special guest in the studio today. We have a fellow painter pundit in my brother, Colton. We are hitting that home opener on September 2nd. When you get in on Friday, where are you going first? Shameless plug. I see we're both wearing the T-shirts. Uh, I'm going to be headed to Augie's locker room for the first stop. That's a very good decision, yes, and we we didn't necessarily plan this. We're both wearing matching Augie's locker room T-shirts. So, well, awesome. What's the second place you're hitting then? You know, we might hit up the uh, Friday night bash that they do. Maybe the discount store, get a little get a little bargain shopping in, and we'll see what we can pick up. That's right. Well, hey, bargain shopping is always better than window shopping. So first, I'd like to acknowledge really quickly before we jump into the festivities that it has been a busy offseason just to run through the past few months of activity here at Onward to Victory and, of course, a gentle nudge to check out some of the previous episodes if you haven't already. We covered the early history and origins of the famous linebacker lounge, spoke with legendary All-American Irish signal caller Terry Hanratty to celebrate the fourth anniversary of the show. Dug into the legacy of four horsemen and former Irish head coach Elmer Layden. Added a fifth installment of the Notre Dame and the Civil War miniseries. While we also kicked off a new ongoing miniseries called Iconic Sites of Notre Dame. Which the first episode was dedicated to Touchdown Jesus. And oh yeah, we also had a little history of Irish head football coaches converting to Catholicism. So a pretty busy Pretty eclectic schedule, I think, but please feel free to check them out or any of the other episodes in the catalog, uh, most of which are pretty timeless. So before we start breaking this thing down, let me give some major roses to who? Who do you think, Colton? WC Screen. Absolutely. WCScreens.com. They are our pals who are very supportive of the show. We wouldn't be here if not for them. And also the Consensus All-Americans, who, of course, are those very special individuals who contribute to the show monetarily. These folks have either contributed significantly in the past or are currently donating. And again, along with our pals at WCScreens.com, we would not be here without them. 
And these folks include Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, Will Fuller of Warren, Ohio, Dr. Jeremy Scarlett of Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, Andy Nickel of South Bend, Indiana, and Mike Johnson from Oak Park, Illinois. Thank you all, first of all, for your generous support of the show. And if you want to join the ranks of the consensus, all Americans, please feel free to visit the virtual collection baskets at paypal.me slash onward to victory or patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. And if you aren't in a position to give, no worries. You can still like, subscribe, or if you're feeling super kind, leave a review or tell all your friends and family about the show as well. All right, so to kick off the preview, let's get down to the brass tacks here, Colton, and we're going to talk about those who have moved on from the program. I'm sure there have been a lot of folks like transfers, uh, quarterbacks, for instance, Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner. So QB1 and QB2 have moved on. And defensive tackle Jacob Lacey, former receiver turned cornerback Lorenzo Styles. This is just to name a few. Um, but let's talk briefly about some of those Irish players drafted this past NFL draft, or those who were picked up shortly thereafter as undrafted free agents. And so I'm going to, well, let's work backwards here, Colton. Let's start with the undrafted guys who were signed at teams or who were given tryouts. Let's first start with the Adam Alolas. The Adam Alola brothers were both picked up uh, after they weren't drafted, but they were picked up after the draft had, had ended. Kicker Blake Groupie was uh, picked up by the Saints and he is still with the Saints. But boyish kicker we had last year. You're right about that, man. And uh, actually, I saw where he hit a game field goal yesterday and got carried off the field as if he was Rudy. So no that way. Was cool. yeah. I missed that. So, <laughs> well, Blake Groupie is, is still with the Saints. So there's that. But then uh, Chris Smith, who was the Harvard transfer, he signed a deal. Here's one that was really interesting just really all the hype that he came into Notre Dame with and then just really very, very underwhelming. And that is of course the was supposed to be the heir apparent to all American Kyle Hamilton. And that was safety Brandon Joseph. So we kind of just really fairly underwhelmed with his performance last year. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, he had, uh, he had a couple pretty exciting plays. I think the ones I look back on is that pick six, who was who was that against Alex? BYU, if memory serves. BYU, that, yeah, that one okay. was pretty awesome. And then I believe he also had a punt return for a touchdown. But yeah, I'm with you, Alex. It's it was it was a bit of an over or uh, underwhelming campaign there for him. And yeah. uh, well, and then we had uh, also uh, Bo Bauer, uh, Josh Lug. They were also invited to rookie mini camps and. So they have all moved on. I think it's sometimes really important to point out that these folks have moved on. They didn't transfer because some people, you know, if you if you transfer out of the program, it's like you're dead to some probably a huge faction of the fan base. So you won't see these guys in the blue and gold this year. And some of these folks you've seen for quite a number of years. And that's because they have have moved on. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the guys who were drafted. So interior offensive lineman and second team All-American Jarrett Patterson was picked up by the Houston Texans in the sixth round at pick number 201. Now there's a ton of talent across our offensive line even still, but here's what I'll say. Jarrett Patterson started 46 games over the last four seasons, so he'll be a significant loss regardless. Who, When you think of guys lost and their impact, guys who were drafted, 
I mean, really, after that, you have really two choices uh, as far as guys who are drafted. Who who are you taking as far as most impactful, the one that we're going to feel the most this year? A couple things. I, I'd like to go back to the undrafted for a second. Please. Avery Davis. It, it was it was sure good to see he got picked up. He got a, a little bit of an opportunity, albeit for maybe a day and a half with the Detroit Lions. It was definitely, definitely good to see that guy get a, get another shot. We all love that guy, especially here at Onward to Victory show. Yes, indeed. He is kind of a folk hero of Onward to Victory. And I always appreciate the Detroit Lions in the sense they, they take flyers on a lot of our guys, it seems like. If they're not drafting them, they're kind of picking them up like this. And Avery's a good pal of ours and as his members of his family. And, yeah, he, we wish, of course, him nothing but the best, regardless of how football goes. He's going to be a successful guy. So, Colton, I appreciate you bringing up Avery. All right, so I guess really it's is it Mayer or is it Foskey? Who are we gonna miss more this year? Uh, I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss more of Michael Mayer. I think that he was just a bona fide All American every every way you put it. Pretty sure he's up there in the record books at all major categories that a tight end could could earn. Yes, and we're actually going to touch on those here in, in just a minute as well. So we're going to do a little bit of a cross-comparison between two of the greatest tight ends in Notre Dame history. So hold, hang on to your butts there, folks. But And it's like funny because you could easily go either way. Foskey, Isaiah Foskey, he is, of course, the all-time Irish sack leader. And uh, he was nabbed by the Saints in the second round at pick 40, but he had 26 and a half sacks. And that includes 11 in each of the past two seasons. And so he passed Justin Tuck, uh, the great Justin Tuck, at that, who held the record previously with 25. Now, it's pretty wild that the all-time leader in sacks can leave the program via the NFL draft. And no, I don't think he's going to be the one that you miss more. And that is because we'll talk about the defense position group by position group, but that defense is deep. In fact, it could be scary. Spoiler alert, Irish fans. However, as far as skill players on offense, it doesn't matter who they're returning. They're going to miss a guy like Michael Mayer. Colton, what did you think about Mayer dropping to number 35 in the NFL draft? That was puzzling to me. I I was watching the draft and can't lie, I had my Notre Dame gear on. I was, I was ready to cheer on our boy as he was drafted in the first round. But it seems that Dalton Kincaid might have gotten the better review there and uh, I was shocked quite frankly right well we know one thing is for sure regardless of where Mayer was drafted he was the creme de la creme in blue and gold history as far as tight ends are concerned he obviously grew into the very best at that position in school history and despite having almost the entire offense some days funneling through him last year he somehow remained unstoppable I am sure that when uh, Tyler Eifert was drafted by nine, uh, excuse me, by the Bengals, 19th overall, about a decade ago, folks thought that they may, may never see a talent like his at that position in South Bend again. And perhaps my pal Tony Strand thought that when he suggested that we take a closer look at comparing these guys. So anyway, to those who thought we'd never see someone of Eifert's caliber at the position again, we would have been incorrect, actually. Here's a quick statistical comparison between the two guys. All right, in the 37 games, uh, Eifert, uh, who I and a number of my brothers played against in high school. Did you ever play against Eifert, Colton? No, I didn't. I was I was the ball boy on 
all of those Snyder teams, I don't think any of yours, but uh, Dylan's, uh, he caught winning touchdown Dylan's senior year, which would have been okay. 2008. That sounds correct. Yeah, that sounds right. Cause I think uh, Eifert might've went in. Well, let's see here. Cause 2005 was my senior year and Eifert was a freshman. So for some much needed context here, Colton, and I played football in Fort Wayne. We played for Snyder high school and Tyler Eifert and actually quite a number of other guys who went on to the Irish played football and high school football in Fort Wayne also. And Eifert played at Bishop Wenger. And I know a lot of people are familiar with that, but that's why we're bringing this up now because some of us actually did play against Eifert and he was a freshman when I was a senior and I was a defensive end. And so I think I might even have bumped up against him once or twice, but yeah. So Eifert actually had 140 catches for 1,840 yards and 11 touchdowns. That was in 37 games. Mike Mayer, on the other hand, in 36 games, snagged 180 passes for 2,099 yards and 18 touchdowns. So as far as receptions are concerned, Mayer's 180 are good for third best in program history, trailing only Michael Floyd and a personal favorite of mine, T.J. Jones. Actually, when we're talking about guys who the the, uh, Detroit Lions took flyers on, T.J. Jones would have been one of them. Now, Eifert still rounds out the top 10, and they are the only two tight ends in the top 10 as far as most receptions in program history, but both are undoubtedly generational talents. Now, if you were to look at the guys, they both had, you know, they could both find the football in tight spaces or in traffic. And then they, though they were roughly the same size as far as height and weight, who would you give the blocking advantage to, Colton? The blocking advantage, I would probably have to go with Michael Mayer. But I would uh, agree. This might be a bit of recency bias. I just thought that uh, he was really reliable as far as run blocking goes. I think that. Tommy Reese used that a little bit. Sometimes maybe get a little bit too creative, but otherwise he could he could definitely count on Michael Mayer. No, I agree. And even though they were roughly, if you look at the media guide, which who knows what where the truth lies, if you were to look at both these guys, they were both pretty much the same size as far as height and weight. I would also give the blocking advantage to Mayer. He always just seemed a little bit more rugged to me and sinewy, whereas Eifert kind of struck me more as a little bit leaner perhaps a little bit more athletic, and that's not a knock on Mayer, of course. But I think probably the main difference between these guys was that I think Mike was a much better red zone target. Eifert had a really innate ability to like high point a, a football. I think that was where he was really good. However, Mike Mayer could just, he came down with, these last two seasons, he's, he came down with everything. Uh, he caught everything. Uh, he was physical. He was a physical runner. I may, I'll make a comment about their arms. <laughs> It always felt like Eifert's arms were just longer than everybody else's. And it almost seemed like when the Irish got down into the red zone back there in 2010 to 2012, you almost knew what they were going to do. They were going to they were gonna send Tyler Eifert to the corner for a jump ball. And more times than not, Tyler Eifert would – it seemed like he, he was the basketball player between the two. I know he was really good at Bishop Dwanger. It just seemed like you knew what was coming. No, I I agree. And I had this weird thing as I was thinking about these two guys. I'm going to bring it up one more time. Arms. I always felt like Eifert's arms were truly longer. And so I actually went to the NFL scouting reports to check. And Tyler's arms were about an inch and a half longer than Mike's. Or I assume they still are, I suppose. But so perhaps that uh, perception is based in 
some reality, but you know, there's no doubt both of these guys are all timers. So hopefully they never have to pay for their own drink at the linebacker lounge ever again. All right, let's break down the offense. You ready? I'm ready. All right, let's start with an easy one. QB1 is Wake Forest transfer Sam Hartman, two-time All-ACC selection, former Gator Bowl MVP, your Irish quarterback. Lots of buzz around Sam this uh, offseason, and I'm here for it. He looked awesome in the spring game. Awesome enough, I suppose, that fellow signal caller Tyler Buckner packed his bags and headed to Tuscaloosa. But Sam's won 27 games as a starter, and he has 110 passing touchdowns to his, in his career and 17 rushing touchdowns. I'm not sure where this ranks as far as most in, seasoned or impactful transfers at that particular position, but I imagine this one is up there. I have some thoughts on Sam, but I'm going to turn it over to you being the former quarterback that you are. Yeah, I, I love the get. Sam Hartman, he's not afraid to take the downfield shots, which I think that's something that we didn't really see last year. I think we're getting a bona fide starter. Hey, I'll tell you, when you first when you first mentioned Gator Bowl MVP, I I actually forgot about that. The 2021 Gator Bowl would have been Wake Forest. See, I got a little confused cuz I was thinking about uh, our old boy Tyler Buckner. Yeah, that's right, who was just the most recent Gator Bowl MVP, which a little delicious bit of irony, I suppose. These two former Gator Bowl MVPs squaring off at, during the uh, Notre Dame spring football game this year. Now, so, yeah, he is not afraid to push the ball down the field, as you mentioned, and I and I like that. We really struggled with that last year. I'll just leave it at last year. Uh, very much struggled with that, and that was what was clearly missing that and I just don't think we quite had the the talent at the wide receiver positions either. But Sam's completion percentage historically is, you know, in the high 50s to low 60s. So that's a little bit worrying in the sense that it, that's not very high. And I, of course, there's a lot of reasons for that. Now he's going to have better weapons this year and more of them than he ever had at Wake Forest. So we can kind of anticipate that he's going to be an efficient passer. And we saw it at the spring game. Uh, we saw a, a model of efficiency, but at the end of the day, I think he's just very, he's a very mature presence on the football field. Uh, in short, I should say a strong leader as far as what's between the ears. He's got it. All right. And Hartman is going to be backed up by who? My dude, peanut butter and jelly, Steve and jelly. Yes. Yeah, so peanut butter and jelly is QB two. And funny you mentioned the kind of quirky nickname because this guy has quite a fan club among the Irish faithful. It's amazing what a good spring game can do. And oftentimes, you know, the most popular person on a football team or the most popular dude on campus is the backup quarterback sometimes, depending on uh, uh, how, how, uh, you know, how QB1's doing. And last year, QB1 was kind of uh, a slice of fresh hell some weeks. So the guy standing on the sidelines with the clipboard was was the uh, was was very popular. So when you mentioned Kenny Minchie, who uh, we saw quite a bit in the spring game, uh, very raw, but plenty of plenty of time. He is a true freshman. He'll be QB three. So we've got. I mean, honestly, if we see Angeli, hopefully it's during garbage time. <laughs> I agree. Uh, and then one thing I'll say about this position group as a whole is I think the hire of Gino Gadulli was huge. As far as the development of quarterbacks, you know, hopefully you can put in the work with Angeli and Minchie this season, as well as learning under Hartman. 
to, uh, to to make Marcus feel a little bit more comfortable in the quarterback situation going into next year. Obviously, we can't we can't say if they're going to go into the portal or not yet. But I think having a offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach, specifically a quarterback coach, to focus on the group that'll pay off. And I'm really excited about that, especially Gino Gadulli's background with Cincinnati. I know he did really well, especially with, with our old friend Desmond Ritter, but Indeed. it's something I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to. That road from Cincinnati to South Bend is often trod. It is, it is quite a pipeline. They're, they're quite a pipeline for us. <laughs> That's why it probably was sucked so bad when they beat us two years ago, but before we got Marcus, who also came from Cincinnati, actually, when when before we were looking, and before we got Marcus Freeman, everybody, all the Notre Dame fans, they were turning. Let's let let's go out and try to get Luke Fickle. I know. So man, yeah, I, I agree with I agree with your sentiment there. It's it's definitely a strong uh, pipeline. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, and the one who's not to be mentioned, but is nonetheless is Brian Kelly. He came up from Cincinnati as well, so yeah, it's it's quite something. We we don't have any issue uh, we don't have any issue poaching coaches from Cincinnati, which is why I probably Cincinnati just reveled in the fact that Brian Kelly just left us, you know, at six fifteen in the morning, and uh, was uh, you know packed his bags for Baton Rouge. All right, now hey, let's go to the backfield. The running backs leading the literal charge is a familiar face, and that would be Junior Audric Estime. Now, who the hell doesn't like this guy? And I know the fumbles were problematic last year, especially that one against Stanford. Uh, but after three fumbles lost in the first seven games, which, yeah, that was a bit excessive for us. <laughs> uh, Audric began clenching the ball a bit tighter, and he didn't cough it up in the final six games. So we finished with 156 carries, 920 yards, and 11 touchdowns last season. He's a big physical runner who invites contact at the line of scrimmage and beyond. He's just he's tough. He averaged 5.9 yards per carry last season. And uh, he practically salted that game against Clemson last year. You could just tell down the stretch. They had enough of that dude. Uh, Whereas one of my old college coaches was fond of saying, they were saying, no mas, no mas. But uh, so the 2022 spring game hero coming back from injury, what do you got on uh, Jadarian Price? Jadarian Price. I'm high on him. I'm high on him. Uh, he's coming off that Achilles tendon injury, which I've never had, but everything that I've heard about it is is very tough. Everything I've heard from practice, it's been very positive about him. Uh, I think he's the number two going in. I don't think there's a whole lot of debate about that. I'm excited. I'm excited to see him. We we saw a little bit of him at the spring game in. 2022 and he lit it up it was it was good yeah he he was him and angeli that game that day were both (laughs) really really quite good and that was the day i'm sorry we said it while we were sitting there that's the day when you're like ah drew pine i don't know about this guy anymore but he was also very popular when he was the backup quarterback i mean we see the cycle go over and over again where it's like people i feel like and i could be People wanted to see Drew Pine over Jack Cohn, and how bad of a mistake would that have been? I'm sorry. The inconvenient truth at that time was that Jack Cohn was the best quarterback on that roster by a long shot. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there. And then we also have uh, Devin Ford, 
also filling in the uh, running back room. He's a Penn State transfer. Uh, Ford's definitely bona fide, by the way. He was the number one running back in the country for his class. He was an absolute get for Penn State. But, oh, and, and he did see some time as a true freshman. But, and it's a big but, he has struggled to stay healthy the past couple seasons. So, though, if he pans out, man, this is a huge pickup. This could be a huge pickup, but if not anything else, an insurance policy for some of our other horses in the stable, so to speak. And who else, anyone else you like in the running back room? Jabron Payne, I do like. He was the number one pick. Not to dwell too much on the, the blue and gold spring games here, but Jabron Payne was the number one pick in the draft this, yep. this year, the blue and gold game. I think the coaches are high on him. And then we also have Jeremiah Love, yeah, who's a freshman. He's he's going to be good. We obviously have to see more of him. He was a four-star, number two player, in, and the number five running back in, in the country last season. So I think he's he's a little raw, but if there's one guy I trust, it's D-Lynn McCullough. He, he, is, yeah. he is a great coach. Coach McCullough is one of those good coaches. And we don't – I guess on this particular preview on a – perennial basis we don't talk as much about the coaches as we, we probably should but um coach freeman has obviously surrounded himself with quite a cast quite a cast of coaches and, and position coaches and i know coordinators are awful important in this as is the head coach but man sometimes these position coaches do not get enough ink dedicated to them and uh coach mccullough is one of those guys he's he's done he's done a great job with that backfield so let's move on to the spot that uh, Alex is perennially nervous about, speaking of perennially. And um, let's be serious. It's for a good reason some years, and that's wide receiver. And we are still pretty lean on experience. But as we say every year, not upside. Uh, I want uh, nothing more than this group to be successful. I just think I've probably conditioned myself to be a little anxious about it year over year, season over season. And last season, Michael Mayer caught about 32% of the completions. So nearly a solid one-third. And frankly, are you surprised it wasn't higher than that? Yeah, yeah, honestly. I actually, I'm like, I don't know if this one-third actually tells the full tale of it because it just feels like, I felt like it was half. But (laughs) some games it probably was. But just for some context here, Colton, here are the top returning pass catchers in terms of receptions. Okay, Chris Tyree has 56 catches. Hopefully he's ready to just bust out in a big way this year because we're going to need him. So after that, Jaden Thomas had 25 catches, all of which came last year, as we know. Deion Colsey, 13 catches. Then it gets real lean. And it goes down to Matt Salerno, who has six grabs. Now, I don't bring up Audric Estime. And even though Chris Tyree had a lot of those catches as out of the backfield, he's lining up in the slot this year. So I'm throwing him in and he, he counts. Any trepidation with this, Colton? Yeah, I do. I do have a bit of trepidation. Nothing, nothing like giving another coach some more justice. But I do trust Chancey Stucky as well. I think he's doing a great job picking recruits and and really just just the experience he has coaching them. He's he's bringing in, I think, a lot higher quality of receiver, which I I do think. A couple of a couple of those guys will will make an impact, but honestly, I'm I'm really excited for Chris Tyree. He's arguably the fastest guy on the team. We just simply have to find a way to get that guy the ball. Jaden Thomas, I'm I also love Jaden Thomas. It seems like he'll catch anything. 
he's mm-hmm. he's really come through. I think we'll see him blossom this year. Colsey, I I I don't know. That's I think that's where most of my trepidation comes from. There, I just I have my doubts if he if he loves to play the game. From what I've been hearing, I guess he's not working with the first team, not working with the second team, working with the third team at practice. So yeah, I mean, if as a junior, I think I think if that accounts for something. Yeah, I get it. I understand. Here's I had my Chris Tyree, my fun fact. Um, I didn't realize this. I maybe I maybe got lost between believe it or not, Logan Diggs with 165 carries and 156 carries for Audric Estime, but I had, did not realize that Chris Tyree had carried the ball a hundred times last season. Uh, I figured it would be most than than uh, most people would remember, or more than most people would remember, but Anyways, uh, but if Tyree blooms into that role, I think we're going to be in much, much better shape. But Jaden Thomas will likely be starting boundary receiver, and he showed chops last season. He really did. And and also, we want to talk about a recency bias, too. This is important to, to own, but he did. He had a nice he had a nice bowl game. Uh, five catches, 66 yards in the bowl game. And in the spring game, he had four catches, 71 yards and a touchdown. And and Thomas and the uh, other Jaden and Mr. Jaden Greathouse uh, looked to be on the same page as as Sam uh, Hartman, which is which is good. The field receiver. Let's talk about this guy who tantalized us with one catch for 41 yards and a touchdown last year, and then just could not see the field, which I know gave uh, heart palpitations to many of your Fighting Irish faithful. But that's sophomore Tobias Merriweather. He looks like the dude this upcoming season. People are high on this guy. And I'll tell you this, something that Brian Driscoll wrote uh, not too terribly long ago, maybe it was today, maybe it was yesterday, uh, maybe it was this week. I'm actually, who knows. But he said that this Notre Dame team is unlike many and he, that he has seen, that they are a blend of physicality and speed and size. He's like, normally Notre Dame will check one box, perhaps two. He's like, this is one of those teams that, depending regardless of how they pan out they they look like they could be they could be the real McCoy I guess keep an eye on uh keep an eye on Tobias this year because this this could be the campaign that he just really soars Rico Flores Braylon James there's some other guys you know in the room that obviously have some talent as well as the aforementioned great house who have some talent but man they hopefully they just gel we talk about this group a lot about upside we have we've talked upside for the last couple of years and just not a lot of producers uh coming coming back and so hopefully hopefully we get that out of there so it's consistency that's the name of the game now when it comes down to it let's talk about consistency the offensive line it's like a magic trick uh each season the irish are consistently bringing back an experienced line and this year proves little exception would you say the offensive line is the strength of the offense? I am high on the offensive line. I'm high on the the new hire. A certain team in Columbus, Ohio, some fits, especially Indeed. when it comes to the run game back when he was at Wisconsin. I think that bode well for us. Yeah, I, I am pretty excited. I'm especially excited for Rocco Spindler. I think he's going to break out. I think he's earned his starting job at at guard position and so you're high on Rocco Spindler there at right guard then you so you think he's going to beat out Kristofic Andrew Kristofic who's 
given the Irish some pretty good play over the last couple of years, he might even have the the uh, the edge on spring uh, this uh, camp competition. But love to see Rocco Spindler in there at uh, right guard. All right, so but working left to right, we'll we'll touch on more on Spindler here in a second. But uh, left tackle is Joe Alt. Started uh, he has started 22 games and likely has a mantle full of All-American awards that he received last year, probably closer to a trophy case. But our boy from Minnesota is legit, and he is legitimately one of the best left tackles in the nation. A great place to start if you are constructing an offensive line. So just going then to left guard, that is, again, sophomore Big Bad Billy Shrout. Perhaps some of you haven't heard of this guy yet, but look out. He came out of high school, spurned his home state Wisconsin Badgers to join the Irish as the number three guard in his class. And uh, he's tougher than shoe leather, as our mom would say. But at center, we have Zeke Correll. And actually, he has started more games this past three seasons, the past three seasons, than anyone on the Notre Dame roster as far as offensive linemen is concerned. So he's back for his grad season campaign. So he's very seasoned. Yeah, when you get a guy that was recruited by Harry Heastan and actually Rocco Spindler, he was the number four interior offensive lineman and number 65 player in the country regarded as a four-star talent. I mean, he he's a high-end guy, and uh, he's 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 been talked about for several years now, and I think this is going to be his, his coming out party here. This is a very good point to make, though. And why I like Rocco Spindler is because he's the he's the kind of guy that you want to have in your program. I mean, he has really battled. He's seen some time in the field, on the field, I should say. And, you know, when he gets sent back to the bench or gets slotted down in the depth chart, I mean, I'm sure personally he was disappointed. But he, he I mean, and this is the era of transferring. He probably very easily could have done that. But he's obviously bought into the program and he's a he's a very loyal son, if you will. And then at right tackle, we have that native Hoosier. Junior Blake Fisher. He's already got 15 starts under his belt. And again, he may be the best right tackle in the country. So offensive line coach Joe Rudolph has to be really juiced about this group. So let's talk about tight end because uh, that's important too. But And also part of the offensive line. We have uh, Kevin Bauman, as we found out here today. Or, uh, yes, earlier today, uh, tore his ACL. So, unfortunately, he will be out for the entire season. But then we've kind of got this tight end by committee thing going for us. Uh, we have a couple guys who many Irish fans will remember, such as Mitchell Evans, Holton Stays. There's uh, Eli Raritan. There's kind of your committee right there. Um, and, frankly, a committee might be appropriate because it's going to take a few guys to replace Michael Mayer. But I bet there's a breakout candidate in there somewhere. And you think there's a breakout candidate in there as well. Yeah, I do. I think, like you said, by committee, I mean, we're, we're tight end you. I think we're going to keep producing. Uh, between Eli Raritan and Holden Stace, the, the group of sophomores there, that they will – break out this year hopefully Raritan can stay healthy I know he's coming back from an ACL last season but he's fast man he's fast and he's tall and he he's he's not afraid to go up there and get it not afraid to put his hand in the dirt I think he'll be a breakout player this year I hope so I I hope there's a breakout player in there if there is that's going to bode well for us again 
And we are tight end you. It's incredible how that position, how, how like all these guys are so talented, uh, so highly acclaimed at that position and how they all gravitate towards Notre Dame. And, you know, you see it again with a, a should have been a first round pick and Michael Mayer departing the program and you have some bona fide prospects to replace him. But hopefully somebody rises to the, uh, the kind of the cream of the crop. And um, so let's uh, let's let's switch sides. Let's switch sides of the football. Let's go to the uh, let's go to the other side. And we're going to start with the linebackers. I know we're doing this out of order, but that's all right. It's it's all right. We make the rules. But uh, we have a very familiar trio of backers holding down the three starting spots. Now, all three are grad students, and the defense is absolutely laden with grad students, people who have been in the program, who have been in other programs, and there is so much experience on the defense. The defense has some potential to be some bad men this year. And I'll just leave it at that. So we should have uh, we should have a very, very strong season defense. And there is some talented depth there. But linebacker, let's go back to linebacker. All three should have nice campaigns to help anchor this defense. And I'll start with a personal favorite, the Mike or the middle linebacker. That would be J.D. Bertrand. 190 career tackles, 15 and a half of those for a loss. Three and a half sacks. And now, as of yesterday, he's a two-time team captain. JD is awesome. He is exactly what you want. So other than JD Bertrand, he's flanked by two other seasoned guys in Rover Jack Kaiser and Maris Leofow. Now, these guys will be kind of ubiquitous as far as what position they're playing you know, whether it's weak side or rover or whatever, you're going to see these three guys, likely J.D. Bertrand in the middle a whole lot. So out of Jack Kaiser and Maris Leofow, we've seen them play a lot of football. Who you like? Well, a little bit of bias uh, for the Indiana boy, Jack Kaiser. Mm. We always we always cheer a little little harder for them. But uh, I'm, I think I'm a little bit more excited for Kaiser. I Leofow, I... I wasn't too too impressed with him last season. I I know he's a champion at practice, but you know, I just I just want to see that in the game. Yeah, and you see it a lot without getting too inside, I guess. You know, he's he's got a heck of a good motor on him. The problem is is sometimes in the past couple seasons, especially, well, excuse me, last year especially cuz he was injured 2 years ago. But uh that motor almost carries him out, you know, out of position a lot. He finds himself out of position a lot, but you know, he is also experienced that man. It's hard to duplicate a guy who's played that much football on Saturday and especially paired up with the, uh, with Kaiser and, and Bertrand at the position, man, these uh, it, it's a, that's a great position group and they have, they have so much potential to be even better. I think uh, those three have played a lot of football together. There's a lot of trust a lot of intuition shared between them. And that's the kind of stuff that on a football field, as you know, man, is invaluable. So, all right, my sleeper, and this is cheating. This is totally cheating because he's he's seasoned. He played in a national championship game, started in a national championship game at that, but he's a name that maybe not a lot of the casual Irish fans know, but he will be impactful this year. And that is Javante Jean-Baptiste. He's uh, sorry. We have now flipped to, to defensive line, but he's played in uh, 45 games over his career. He transferred in from Ohio State. So 
hate to give him roses, but obviously a quality program there. But he's got uh, eight career sacks, 11 tackles for loss, and 53 tackles. Again, he's seen action in 45 games with Ohio State. He's transferred over for his grad year. Man, I am super stoked for this guy. I think he's going to be a presence off the edge. And our, our defensive line, I mean, you, we just talked about the linebackers, but let me go, let me uh, work my way over here. Howard Cross and Riley Mills at defensive tackle, and then Jordan Botello at that Viper spot. And that Viper spot has been absolutely lethal for opposing offenses the last, what, four seasons between Foskey and, of course, Jeremiah Usukoromoa holding down that Viper. So Botello has big shoes to fill. But aside from uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste, again, one defensive end, Howard Cross, Riley Mills, and Jordan Botello, you're returning some really strong athletes, some good players, and some experience. Out of the three, Cross, Mills, Botello, do you favor any of them? Any, who, do you, who do you see the biggest things coming from? I'll go with Riley Mills. Ooh. You just look at that dude, and <laughs> it's about enough to make you want to run away. I yeah, mean, he's, he's tough. Dynamic dynamic dude very very strong and uh i think he i think he might have the most experience would he not out of out of all these guys well it's hard uh, out of the the notre dame guys certainly um i mean batello's been around but he was always slotted behind foskey and that made it really hard for him to hit the field and uh howard cross you know you've seen him the last couple seasons but riley mills I mean, you know, he he, but they all have experience. He's coming back with a fair bit. I'd, I'd say Jean Baptiste, just from from his transfer uh, from his time at Ohio State, would probably be the most seasoned. Yeah, right. Riley Mills, as you as you say, man, he's he's a physical specimen. And actually, you know, with this NIL stuff going around, a lot of people don't realize this. Some of his representatives reached out to Onward to Victory about this time last year and offered uh, offered him as a guest on our show, and. Uh, I said, God, oh, it's fantastic. Well, what, what's uh, what's he charge? I won't say what he charges, uh, but I'll just say it was out of the show's budget. <laughs> but uh, we almost had Riley Mills on the show, though. We exchanged a couple emails with his uh, with his reps, so that was uh, fun while it lasted. But uh, yeah, the defensive line could be the absolute bread and butter of the operation. Yeah, just just a very diverse group, I think. And uh, I don't know if you mentioned Alex at Viper. Did you mention Junior Tuli Alamaka? No, thank you. Yeah, that's another guy. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna have a great season. He he played uh, a little bit last season. Well, I guess he played in all thirteen games. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't think he's very well known amongst Irish fans, and I, I think that he'll surprise him. I think this whole group is going to be very sneaky and I think, I think they're going to put it together. I, it'll be, a, I think it'll do a heavy rotation. We'll get to see a lot of different guys, but I think they'll all come through for us. Well, yeah, think about it this way. A lot of people are uh, not a lot of people. I should say that. Cause I don't know if this is true, but I'm sure some people are like, man, Kaiser Bertrand and Leah foul. Like we've seen this song and dance before, but here's what I'll say. Uh, uh, Jalen Sneed and Nolan Ziegler are redshirt freshmen. Drake Bowen and Jaden Osberry are freshmen. I mean, we have a youth movement rolling through, and it is a luxury to have these guys suiting up where they're suiting up. So um, I think, yeah, so when you look at the front seven, my God, 
it's it is gonna it could be really really tough on some opposing teams. They're tough, they're physical, and they're athletic. And I don't think it's gonna be any easier to throw on them either. Because look at the look at the defensive backfield. I mean, the centerpiece of that defensive backfield is of course sophomore phenom Benjamin Morrison, which as a freshman, I have never. I don't know. I get chills when I think about his performance at against Clemson, and it's because I was there. But it wasn't just it wasn't just the interceptions either. He made some excellent tackles on the perimeter, and one of them was on their tight end. And man, he he yeah he got ran over. He took the guy down, but he wore it so well, and he was cool as hell when he popped right back up and got back in the huddle. So Ben Morrison, we have him at uh, cornerback, and boy, aren't we lucky that we do but just a wealth of experience still that we're returning. So on the other, at the other cornerback spot is graduate student Kim Hart. Uh, so that's uh, I mean, just any time that you have so much, uh, I mean, Morrison's obviously only a sophomore, but Cam's been around for several years now. Uh, actually, he's got, yeah, he's got 20, 20 games started under his belt, 35 altogether. Um and then just when you think about it, when you're thinking about depth at the cornerback spot, and Clarence Lewis, another guy who, again, a little bit up and down, a little uneven, but at his best, he's, he played some, some great, great football for uh, Notre Dame in flashes. We're getting there, right? Uh, he's a senior this year. It'd be great to see him turn in a really strong campaign. But what about, uh, let's, let's look at, uh, so we have Morrison and Hart. Uh, Thomas, uh, Harper also, where did Har- Thomas Harper come in from? I'm trying to remember Thomas Harper came from Oklahoma state. I don't know how I forgot that in the time in the moment, but safety position. What do you think? I think, I think there's a lot to be excited about there, but going back to the cornerbacks, there's another young guy that I'm, I'm pretty excited about pretty high on is, uh, Jaden Mickey. I think he'll be, he's obviously not going to be starting, but. Again, I think I think they're going to do a little bit of rotating, so I, I think we'll see a, a good amount of them. But yeah, the, the safeties we got Xavier Watts. Xavier Watts he came into Notre Dame as a wide receiver, and he kind of switched over to safety, and he's just been blowing everybody away. He's special. And then we have the transfer from Rhode Island, yeah, Antonio Carter, which I think he's going to see plays here. So the backing up DJ Brown again, who has played just uh, as I like to say a metric ton of football for the Irish. You do have Ramon Henderson. So not only, and I feel like I've neglected this at times the two and three deep during this thing, but you have depth up and down the defense, and that's a very very positive thing. Of course, it's always great to have depth, and hopefully these guys get some some good playing time. So how about you take us away, man? So that's the defense. I have a lot more faith and, and confidence in the defense as a whole, as a whole unit, than I do in the offense. That's probably every Irish fan out there. But take us through the uh, the specialists, man. We, we've got a couple new specialists, or at least one new specialist, I should say. Yeah, we do have one new specialist, another grad transfer here with Spencer Schrader. He uh, transferred from South Florida. I think, I think it'll be, you know, I think that's what Notre Dame's been doing. They've been... They've been kind of dipping into the transfer portal for a, for a new kicker each year. But, hey, I, I don't mind it. It usually works out. We saw a lot of success with Groupie last year. I, I don't think this will be any different. I think Spencer Schrader will be, will be pretty reliable. 
No, I hear you. And it's go pluck somebody like it, especially if it's a grad student. Why not? Just grab them, use them for a year. And that's that, that's probably a good formula. And it's one they've had success with. And uh, obviously, uh, it's hard to find guys like Justin Yu who just come in and do it for four years. And even he was a little little uh, his first year. He was he was a little shaky, but then he really developed into a obviously a exemplary kicker. I take that back. He probably wasn't as shaky as I remember him, but his last couple of years at, at Notre Dame, he was virtually automatic. So at least we can prepare for them, you know, here two weeks in advance instead of being on a, a short one week practice week, trying to get ready for a offense that you don't ever see, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. I think, I think we'll take care of business in Ireland. Uh, hopefully in a, in a dominating fashion so we can see some of our young guys go to work. And if we don't see young guys go to work in week one, with all due respect, and you want to respect all your opponents, of course, we might have a chance to see some at uh, the home opener on September 2nd, which I mentioned we'll both be at wearing bells when they play Tennessee State, who went four and seven last year. But it'll be a bit of a first, a historic first. It'll be not only the first time that the Irish are playing an FCS team, but this is an HBCU. They are coached by none other than Eddie George, who, of course, was a fantastic running back at Ohio State and had enjoyed a very long pro career. So never say never. We went to the Marshall game last year and didn't expect that thing to go that way. But this is like not even this isn't an opponent even the caliber near the caliber of a Marshall. So September 9th, though, they get their real first true test. And is one that a lot of people have their doubts about when they go down to play North Carolina State. This is one that folks are a little nervous about, I think. Um, some pundits have even circled this is an Irish loss. So we'll see. North Carolina State went 8-5 uh, eight, eight and five last year. And uh, they got Brandon Armstrong at quarterback, who he has he has put up really bulky numbers. So they do have a bona fide signal caller there at North Carolina State. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think that's it. on the road. That's gonna be that's gonna be a real real test. They went eight and five last season. They've got thirteen returning guys, and as you mentioned, Brandon Armstrong. That's a that's a huge positive for the Wolfpack. I think we're gonna come out on top. I, personally, I think we're gonna come out on top every game. But I really do think this is this is it's gonna be a tough one. But it, I think we'll we'll come out. This is one of those years that I feel really good about the fact that we've got such an experienced defense talented defense going out is a tough road game so the irish come home the next week september 16th and they will play continue with that tradition of playing a mac school we got central michigan this year who went four and eight last year obviously you can't overlook any opponents that's but i mean central michigan probably isn't scaring anybody in their own conference what to expect here from the chip was is this will be our first meeting (laughs) so yeah i mean it'll it'll first time ever yeah, first time ever. It'll it'll be a good game. Yeah, hopefully hopefully they make light work because of course, well, and I think if they if <laughs> I think the natural concern is that they're looking to next the following week, which is September 23rd when a team from Columbus, Ohio is coming to South Bend. In my heart of hearts, I really want to believe that this is going to be a a, a win for the Irish. I just have a lot of trepidation uh, about this I mean, they're tough. Ohio State, obviously, uh, 
you know, they went to the college football playoff last year. They went 11 and two, a lot of talent. So we'll see. We'll see. They, they had to replace CJ Stroud. Of course, that's a big loss for them. I, I don't know what, when I was figuring the, our, the overall record, I had this one down, which is, uh, I know cynical, but Hey man, if we if we drop this one, I don't think it'll be more than seven points. They've got their new quarterback is Kyle McCord, which is a fun fact was Marvin Harrison Jr.'s quarterback in high school. So they have mm-hmm. that. Guy. I'll be. But hey man, I I'll tell you, everywhere where they're strong at on the opposing side, I think we're also very strong. So I mean, I'll I'll take our guys versus them. Well, and I mean, you know, last year, I think last year we showed in that place, too, that we were every bit, of, if you watch that game, and I tend to gravitate towards watching the Lions, because that's just where where I, you know, some people just follow the football wherever it goes. I, I follow the, the Lions, which way they're swaying and who's winning that battle, because eventually that means, that's probably going to tell you how the game's going to eventually get, but we hung with them last year and we we were mono mono at some points and unfortunately just uh, the offense just really sputtered pretty bad after the after a really nice opening to that game last year so i don't know we'll see notre dame has a really even after ohio state really tough game stretch after that where they're playing you know duke at duke is tough i mean i don't know i i know we've we've this handled them fairly easily the last couple times we've played them, but it's really less about these games individually and more about them as a sequence. So we have at Duke on September 30th, they went nine and four last year and at Louisville on October 7th, they went eight and five now. And they got the uh, Purdue guy, uh, Brom coaching. So I'm sure there's probably a little bit of excitement there in Louisville and then Southern Cal on October 14th. And then a bye week, and then Pittsburgh on October 28th, they went nine and four. And November 4th is Clemson, who went, of course, 11 3. One of those three losses was dealt to them by us. So even if you're just looking between September 23rd and November 4th, you're looking at a run there where the teams last year went 59 and 21. It is a it is a tough football, regardless. And with three away games, one at Clemson. That's going to be tough. Yeah, a few things I'm looking forward to in that stretch is uh, we get to see a familiar face with Duke and uh, Mike Elko. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he's a former former Notre Dame coach. That'll be fun. As well as this guy. I feel like he's been to 15 different schools. For Pittsburgh, oh, yeah. Bill Dracovic. He's always got a little chip on his shoulder <laughs> for Irish. So, I, I I'm excited. I I hope they. Yeah, I was gonna say Phil has such nice things to say. Exactly. Yeah, I just hope they stack them a couple times. Yeah, maybe takes maybe take some dirt and maybe put some take some grass and shove it in his mouth or something. Uh, no, I hear you. So and then the season rounds out. Ironically, enough, senior day is Wake Forest. That's November 18th. So uh, and then Stanford. Stanford's not looking awesome. I wish I could say one of their three wins last year wasn't wasn't against us, but alas, it was. So we have 12 games here. I have little doubt that Notre Dame's going to hit a bowl game. <laughs> it kind of just depends on which one. But what what 12 out of 12? What do you what do you got, Matt? I'm, I have them at 11 and one. I think between 
Clemson, Southern Cal, and Ohio State. I think we have room to drop one of those. And honestly, I think we could still be in playoff contention at that point. But I truly think that we'll take care of business versus Ohio State. And then uh, the only one that really, really worries me is Southern Cal. I mean, their their quarterback is is truly, truly special. He can get it done both in the air yeah. and with his feet. I think we'll take care of Clemson again this year, although it'll be tough on the road. I'm just always hoping tough going there. The wheels yeah. fall off for Yeah, him. I hear you. I know, man. I have us at nine and three. And hey, you know what? If we go ten and two or eleven and one, you're not gonna hear any complaints out of me. I just I think they're I I think they're gonna drop one of these games that we're not talking about as much. And I don't know which one it is. You know, I hope it's not like a at Louisville. I and I have to kind of remind myself sometimes that during those earlier Brian Kelly years, unlike the second half of his tenure in South Bend, we always had a, a game or two and sometimes three that we had no business losing. And I'm not saying we're reverting to that. I just, I think I got so conditioned during the second half of Brian Kelly's tenure that it's like Ian never lost a game against someone he should shouldn't have lost to, or, or did never, you know, never lost a game that that they they had no business losing. And so. I kind of have to – last year was kind of a reality check for that in a sense because, man, they lost a couple games to teams they had no business losing to. So I not to say that that spells doom. I think if they can win 10 games again, go even go 10-3, and three, win a bowl game, if they can hit double, I just think this gets a lot tougher. Than no, I totally agree. It's and And one thing that I just – can't stand to hear year after year is how weak Notre Dame's schedule is. I mean, I, I don't think that could be any more false. I mean, I would take, let's just say an Ohio state schedule or a Michigan schedule. Mm-hmm. I would take one of those any day of the week compared to, you know, the, the gauntlet that we're facing this year. And, and then years past, really, I mean, it's people, people love to say that, but uh, I think at the end of the day, they're just mad they can't be independent. <laughs> Here's the thing about it, too. It's uh, You're right. Every year, it's the same song and dance. But every year, Notre Dame always ends up playing one of the toughest schedules you know, in the nation, uh, most years, I should say. And, you know, they're, they're definitely – they have their work cut for them. Not impossible, obviously. We'll, we'll all find out. So I got them down 9-3. and three. Colton, you got them at 11-1. and one. I'd, love, I'd love for you to be right. Actually, I'd love for both of us to be wrong and go – 12 and 0. <laughs> I agree. Sleepers. Do you have any sleepers for, uh, you know, for the onward to victory, all sleeper team? Oh, I'll let you go first on this one, Alex. So I can, so I can stew a little bit over here. I have a couple. I, and like I said, I'm cheating. I'm sliding him into this because it's a name that not a lot of your cat, like your casual Irish fans know. And again, that's Monte Jean-Baptiste who is going to play defensive end for the Irish this fall. Tons of experience, lots of, I mean, experience. Like I said, he played in the national championship game. He just, he's, this is his breakout season. I can feel it. Like I said, I normally, I like to get into the depth chart a little bit and get real cute and clever with picking somebody. Devontae's going to start. He's a, he's a sleeper just because he's, he is, like I said, he's kind of an unknown commodity to the blue and gold faithful. So, I'm going to go with JJB, if you will. That's a that's a pretty good choice. 
personally, I'd, I, I'm going to go with Raritan. I kind of hinted at it earlier. Again, with the tight okay. end by command, I think we'll we'll see one or two of these guys really set themselves apart. And and I'm just I'm just hoping it's Raritan. He's he's super dynamic, quick, and just a big dude. And uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I'm I'll go with Gabe Rubio. I think he's poised for mm. a good season here. That's a good pick. And I mean, and as we know, a defensive line is one of those places. There's rotations. So you're going to see the two deep pretty much pretty much uh, all season. My offensive guy is Jaden Greathouse because I we watched him play this, uh, this spring, even though we were absolutely miserable doing so uh, <laughs> at the spring game. And he had one heck of a spring. It's hard not to pick. Um, he's a freshman. On the depth chart, he's, the, he's backing up Tyree at slot. Who knows? And maybe Jaden Greyhouse gets some packages where he sees some field. You know, you could really kind of take your pick with some of these young wide receivers. I think they all inspire quite a bit of confidence. Those are my those are my ponies in the race. All right, and go ahead and announce yours once more. My ponies in the race are tight end Eli Raritan and defensive tackle Gabriel Rubio. Now, let me throw out a little bit of an honorable mention here. I think Jadarian Price coming off that injury – like I said, everything that I've heard is positive and that he's he's back to pretty much what he was working with before the Achilles. I think he's another guy worth mentioning, and I just want to be on record because <laughs> I think he's going to have a hell of a season. Yeah, and when he hits, man, you uh, you call it, bro. It's great. To, it's always great to feel vindicated. Well, this has been this has been great, Colton. I appreciate you joining. This is. This is a highlight of the Onward to Victory calendar, and even though we don't do a lot of, so uh, we're well versed on this. We, don't, we simply don't miss a game, and we're taking in Notre Dame's, you know, football stuff all year. But uh, so it's good to uh, it's it's good to you know be able to kind of get around and talk about it. Yeah, and Alex, I'll say, man, we we must FaceTime and phone call two three times a week, and pretty much all we talk about is Notre Dame football and. Most of the time we're we're cut short by whatever have you, you know, making dinner, you know, attending to other yeah. business, and we're we're always cut off. and And I'm just happy we got to sit down here and have some scheduled time to uh, be able to talk Irish football. It's one of my favorite things to do. Absolutely, man. And, and trust uh, trust me, yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be doing it again. But in the interim. I am going to sign us off. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, our 2023 football preview, fifth annual football preview at that. In kindness, my name is Alex Painter. And I am Colton Painter. And as always, go Irish.